Heavenly Father, your word is more precious to us than thousands of pieces of silver and gold. And so, Lord, we pray that we would delight in your word far more than we would delight in large sums of money. But we would delight in this scripture that is before us because here we can hear the creator, the one who sustains us. We can hear you speak. And so, Lord, we pray that as we look at your son, Jesus Christ, and what he did many years ago, that you would give us joy and delight this Good Friday. And we pray this in his name. Amen. Well, this morning I want to look at this passage that is before us in Isaiah chapter 53, particularly chapter 53 and verse 5. So I encourage you to have the Bible open before you uh, to page 731. As we look at this servant who is described, uh, he's described in chapter 53, but we see him called as God's servant in verse 13 of chapter 52. There we see in verse 13, See, my servant will act wisely. He'll be raised and lifted up and highly exalted. And then for the rest of chapter 52 and on into 53, this servant is described. Now, who is this servant? Who is the servant that is being described by Isaiah the prophet hundreds and hundreds of years before our time today? Who is this servant? Well, we understand from the New Testament particularly that this servant who is described in Isaiah 52 and Isaiah 53 is the Lord Jesus Christ. The Apostle Peter quotes uh, from this passage of scripture and refers it to the Lord Jesus. In 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 22 it speaks about how he was one who committed no deceit and quotes directly from Isaiah 53. And also Philip, the evangelist, in Acts chapter 8, he meets with a eunuch who is reading this passage of scripture. He's reading the scroll of Isaiah, and there he reads about a servant who is punished in this way. And he asks Philip, who is the person who is being described in Isaiah 53? And Philip tells him it is the Lord Jesus. So what does what can we learn about Jesus Christ from this passage today? What can we learn about him? And particularly from verse 5. Verse 5 is what I'm wanting to concentrate on Isaiah 53. Verse 5, what we can learn about the Lord Jesus and what would happen to him that Isaiah prophesied about hundreds of years, not just before our time, but before Jesus actually came and walked on this earth. What do we learn would happen to the Lord's servant, to Jesus? Well, one of the first things we see in verse 5, there's four things in particular I want to focus on initially. Verse 5 is that he was pierced, that he would be pierced. And what does it mean to be pierced? Well, the Hebrew word there is often used in the context of someone dying, particularly from a wound that is made by a sword of some sharp object has been pushed into someone so that they die. So it's a, a terrible wound that is being made by piercing And this happened to the Lord Jesus. We understand in the New Testament, as we look at the Lord Jesus and his death, we see that he was indeed someone who would be pierced, as Isaiah prophesied about many years before. He was pierced by nails being driven into his hands and to his feet. He was pierced by a sword, a spear after his death was plunged into his side. He was pierced. And also even uh, we can consider the, the whipping that goes on uh, that cuts his back uh, when he was flogged and the crown of thorns that was put upon his head, pierced his skull, pushed in and made wounds within him. And so we can see this prophecy is fulfilled easily in the Lord Jesus Christ. If the one who is the servant of the Lord is to be pierced, then Jesus does indeed fulfill that prophecy. 
What else do we learn would happen to the Lord's servant that is fulfilled in Jesus from verse 5? Well, in verse 5 it says that he was crushed for our iniquities. What does it mean to be crushed? Uh, Well, some translations have bruising here, but that's probably not strong enough. The idea is a crushing that does result in death as well, just as the piercing usually resulted in death when that word was used. Also, crushing had the idea of death too. And was the Lord Jesus crushed? Well, he wasn't crushed in the sense that we see his body completely pulverized, as we might see with things that we, we see crushed today. I remember when I was working at Target as a sales assistant, after I would unpack all the merchandise from the boxes in the toy department, then I would go out the back, and on the back dock there was a compactor. And it was lots of fun. You'd throw all these boxes into this compactor, push a button, and watch them all get crushed, squished together. It was fun for a while, but after a while... Work always tends to be boring after a time. It's initially very exciting, uh, but that kind of work, uh, yes, it started to not be as entertaining. But the idea of crushing, did that happen to Jesus? Was he crushed like a crushing in a compactor? Well, no, not physically, but he did experience the crushing weight of God's wrath being poured out upon him on the cross. He was crushed by God as God got very angry at him as he took sin upon him he experienced the wrath of God weighing down on him burdening him and even as he was there hanging on the cross you could say physically he did experience some crushing effects as he's trying to pull himself up and then he's crushed by his own weight on his lungs so that he can't breathe properly there is a physical crushing going on as well but I think uh, we can if we want to really consider the crushing weight that was upon Jesus The spiritual torment that he went through is fulfilled in this verse, in uh, this prophecy from Isaiah 53. What else do we see would happen to this servant? We saw that he would be pierced, we saw that he'd be crushed, and we also see in verse 5 that he would be punished. could also be translated as disciplined or chastised. Was Jesus disciplined? Was he punished? Yes, when we read the New Testament, we see that he was condemned by two different courts, a religious court and a secular court, condemned as worthy of punishment, that he should be punished, that he should be chastised for claiming that he was the Son of God, for claiming that he is the King of the Jews. And so we see that this verse is fulfilled in the Lord Jesus in that he was indeed punished by not just a religious court but also a secular court under Pontius Pilate. And then lastly, the fourth thing that we notice that would happen to this servant is in verse 5 as well there. At the end it says, by his wounds we are healed. There's a wounding that would go on with this servant of the Lord. And we've already considered the piercing that would happen. And so Jesus did indeed experience wounding. He experienced wounding from the crown of thorns. He experienced wounding from the the, uh, the flogging. Uh, some translations actually uh, allude to this even more strongly by saying, by his stripes we are healed, uh, alluding to the, the flogging that would go on, but also, of course, the wounds in his hands and his feet and the side of him as that spear was plunged into him. So Jesus was indeed wounded in the fulfilment of this prophecy. Now, this sounds like a terrible thing to happen to anyone. So the question for us this morning is, why was Jesus pierced? Why was he crushed? Why was he punished? Why was he wounded? And the answer is because of our sin. 
And that's told to us in the text as well. As we come to this text and we see this servant who suffers so greatly and we ask, why does this happen? Well, it's told to us in the text. Look with me again at Isaiah chapter 53, verse 5. It says, but he was pierced for our transgressions, for transgressions. The word transgression has the idea of crossing a boundary that you transgress or we'd say maybe trespass, that there's a place that you're not supposed to go. And you go, and so when you do that, you are a trespasser. You are a transgressor. And Jesus was pierced for our transgressions because of sin, of transgressing. But also we see in that, that same section of verse 5 that he was crushed for our iniquities. Once again, bringing out the idea of sin. What does iniquity mean? Well, the idea there is of something twisted, something that should be straight, and uniform, but instead it has been twisted. And this, of course, is a description of sin as well, that we know what we should do, but instead we do the wrong thing, and so it's a twisting of whatever it is that we are doing. And so we understand from this verse that Jesus experienced great pain, but it was because of sin. And whose sin was it? Well, again and again it says that that it's our transgressions and our iniquities that he was experiencing this wounding, this pain at the cross. It was our sin that affected Jesus. And this is quite reasonable to understand that sin can affect others. If you choose to drink and drive, that sin, that transgression, that twisting of the function, the iniquity of driving can affect others. You can injure others as well as your own self by that transgression. But it's interesting here that Jesus is afflicted by our sin so that benefit would come, not so that harm would come to others. Yes, we see our sin affects others, that when we do things wrong, it actually hurts others. But here it's very interesting that it says that he is hurt in these ways, he is pierced, he is crushed, he is punished, and he is wounded to bring benefit to us. And it's given to us in the text the benefits that this brings, this pain that is put upon Jesus. In verse 5 it says, The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. There are two benefits given to us in the text. One is that we experience peace by Jesus experiencing that pain at the cross so many years ago. What is this peace that Jesus brings? Well, it's peace between us and God, first and foremostly, that we understand that instead of being rebels with God and considered his enemies, we are now considered his friends, even his children, that he has peace with us now. And not just peace with God, through Jesus Christ, we can actually have peace with our fellow man. And we can have peace with the creation that is around us. We can have peace with all the good things that God has given us, which we might often want to fight with instead. I was reading a, a biography of a, a preacher from London in the 1800s called William Jay, and I thoroughly enjoyed it. And he had this quote, which I also enjoyed. And he says, The gospel makes husbands better husbands and wives better wives, parents better parents, children better children, masters better masters, and servants better servants. Can you see the peace that William J. says comes through the gospel? It comes between husbands and wives. It comes between parents and children, between masters and servants. And then he continues, 
I would not give a farthing for that man's religion whose cat and dog were not the better for it. Jesus brings peace between you and your pets. You actually will treat your pet better as a result of the wounds of Jesus so many years ago. And it's not just peace that is said to be the benefit that comes to us. What is the other thing that is mentioned there in verse 5 at the end? And by his wounds we are healed. He brings healing. What is the healing that he brings? Well, he gives us physical life. For all of eternity, we one day will be raised with resurrection bodies because of the work of Jesus Christ. We will have a physical body that lives for eternity and does not die. He brings healing to our bodies. Now, since when does pain, do wounds bring healing? This is an interesting thing for us to consider this morning, and I want to spend a bit of time for the rest of the sermon really considering this last part of the verse that by his wounds we are healed because we don't usually consider that when you wound someone, you're bringing healing. Usually you're hurting someone if you wound them, not benefiting them. But then again, when we consider the world of medicine and particularly medical surgery, there, there often is wounding with a view to bringing healing, that we wound in order to heal This is quite a brutal thing that is being described in verse 5 about the Lord Jesus Christ. And then when we read the New Testament and we see the crucifixion, we see this is a horrible, painful way to die. How could this possibly bring healing to anyone? But then when we consider the world of medical surgery, some of it's quite brutal. The things that they will do, that surgeons will do with, with sores and drills and screws as they cut into the human body. If you just witness a knee replacement uh, surgery where they cut bits off the bone or a hip replacement surgery, if you'd like to see one, there's this wonderful thing called YouTube and you can log on and there are lovely surgeons who have uh, pictured it and all its glory there for you to watch uh, and explain each step of the way and what is going on. It's quite a brutal thing that is happening there. But why do they do it? Why would a surgeon do those kinds of things? It's with a view to healing. Even saving lives can happen by the wounds of a surgeon. And I've even witnessed this a bit firsthand, the, the wounding of someone to bring healing. When I was training as a podiatrist, the worst foot ulcer that I ever saw was one I saw as a student. And when it presented, the man came into the clinic, uh, he had this large puffy part of his skin under his foot, on the sole of his foot. And at first glance you would think, oh, there's obviously something wrong, but it's not that serious. But then the podiatrist took a scalpel round the whole edge of that dead skin that was there and all this infection poured out and was uh, taken up by the podiatrist, washed and bandaged the bottom of his foot and it basically took up the entire bottom of his foot almost it was a very large wound on the bottom of his foot now why would this podiatrist take a scalpel and wound the bottom of the person's foot of this man's foot well it's because she wanted to bring healing and prevent further harm to this man further harm to this foot because if she'd let that infection go on festering under the skin then eventually it wouldn't have just 
uh, gone through the bottom of the, the skin layer that was there on the foot, but it would have gone down to the bone, infected the bone, and potentially gotten into the bloodstream. And once the infection goes through the bloodstream, well, then that's a very serious danger because the infection can spread throughout the body, and if not treated very quickly, it can actually lead to death. That man's foot could have killed him unless his foot was punished with a scalpel. Unless his foot was punished with a scalpel and that a wound was made on the bottom of his foot to get out that infection so that he could get life, if he didn't have that happen to him, then he could have died as a result. And we as Christians are like that man. We are like that man. We have an infection in our body. And we recognize it as sin. All humanity has fallen through the, law, uh, through the sin of Adam and Eve so many years ago, our first parents. And we have sin working within our members. And on Judgment Day, we deserve to be cut off. All of humanity deserves to be cut off from God's presence, like a diseased limb that is amputated to prevent further infection from spreading. We should be cut off from God's presence. But instead, many years ago on Good Friday, Jesus Christ was cut off from God. When he cries out at the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's experiencing God forsaking him at the cross, that he is being cut off. It's quite mysterious as to what that would actually mean and how someone who's been in an eternal relationship with the Father could be cut off uh, altogether. It is very mysterious as to what that actually implies. But in some way, even if it wasn't altogether cut off, in some way he was forsaken by God at the cross where God's wrath was poured out upon him like he was a diseased limb because our sins had been placed upon him. And so the infection that we have is put to his account, and so that he is punished, he is wounded, so that we can experience the healing that we so desperately need if we're going to live forever. So that the sin that is part of us is removed, the punishments that we deserve for our sin is removed and put upon the Lord Jesus so that by his wounds we are healed. And it's wonderful as we come to the understand this, that through the wounds of the Lord Jesus, we are healed because we didn't even have to undergo the surgery. The pain that we deserve for our sins, a substitute was provided. A substitute patient was wounded on our behalf. Now, why does this happen? Why would a substitute be given? Why couldn't we pay for our own sins? Why couldn't we be wounded so that we are healed of our sin? Well, the thing is, we wouldn't survive the wounding that is required for sin. We wouldn't be able to pay for our sins for all of eternity, which is what is required. Whenever you go to have surgery, any sort of major surgery, the doctors, the surgeons, they will assess you to see whether you can actually survive the surgery, whether it's worth giving you the surgery, because there are many risks involved in the surgery, and it may kill you to have the surgery. If there are infections, if your heart is not capable of surviving a surgery then they will say, no, we cannot give you the surgery. It will kill you to give you such surgery. And when the Lord looked at us and saw our disease of sin and assessed us what is required to pay for that sin, 
He assessed us and found that we were wanting, that we could not walk away from such surgery. We could not walk away from such wounding that is required for our sin because we should be wounded for all eternity. We should be crushed and punished for all of eternity. We cannot survive the punishment for our sin. But the Lord Jesus could. God himself, the Son of God, perfect man, perfect God, coming, living on this earth, living in righteousness, and then dying the death that we deserve, as the Son of God is able to pay for our sins. By his wounds, we can actually be healed, whereas by our own wounds, we cannot be healed. We cannot even attempt to pay for our sin. It is that serious. So this Good Friday, as we consider that Good Friday so many years ago, we see that it has something to do with us who believe. This is an abstract prophecy of some sort of piece of poetry from many years ago, and it has nothing to do with us. It's not even simply history for us. It's something that applies to us in this room who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. The death of Jesus affected many of us in this room today. This verse has application for us today. When it says our transgressions and our iniquities and that he brought us peace and by his wounds we are healed, that's speaking about those in this room, along with all the other saints through the centuries, us in this room who trust in the Lord Jesus Christ's death for us. Jesus was wounded so that we would be healed, so that we would have eternal life. Jesus was punished so that we would have peace with God even now and have peace with one another and have peace even with our pets. And so we rejoice in this verse today. We rejoice that by the wounds of Jesus Christ, we are healed. Just like a man who's had heart surgery and knew that if he didn't have the heart surgery, he would die. And afterwards, after he's had the successful heart surgery, and he rejoices in the fact that he had that surgery, that he lives another day. That is how we are when we look at the Lord Jesus. We see the surgery that was poured out upon him many years ago, the pain that was inflicted upon him. And we know that if, we hadn't, if he hadn't had that surgery on our behalf, we would not be living eternally. But he has. And so we rejoice and are thankful that we, instead of looking to eternal punishment in hell, we look to eternal reward in heaven itself. So many of us in this room will rejoice as we look at a verse like this. But I fear that some in this room are like my patient many years ago that I saw in another way, that man with the foot ulcer. I said that we are like that man as fallen humans, now we are redeemed, thankfully, and so our punishment has been taken if we're believers. But many of us are like that. Um, we're all like that man in the fact that we had an infection, we had a disease. But some of you in this room may be like that man in the way that he didn't even know that he had a problem. He never actually felt the pain of that foot ulcer on the bottom of his foot. The man had diabetes, and diabetes is high sugar levels in the blood, and that can affect the nerves, particularly the peripheral nerves. And so the man is desensitized to pain in the extremities of his body. And so he had this great wound on the bottom of his foot, which for any of you who can feel quite well would understand that there is something seriously going on with my foot, and I need help. But this man had no idea. He was numb to the infection. He was numb to the problem that was on the bottom of his foot. 
And I fear that some of you in this room are desensitized to the problem of sin as well. That you do not realize that you have an infection that is raging on within your body and will one day kill you because of that infection, of the disease of sin. If you are outside the Lord Jesus Christ, if you do not trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, then you should be screaming in agony about your sin. You should be gnawing your tongue out. But you don't. Why? Well, you're deadened to the seriousness of sin. There are many people all around us. You may interact with them all through the week, and they are not Christians. They do not believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the infection is still raging on in their body, and you may be the same. You may be here this morning, and that infection is still raging on, but you don't feel it. You're deadened to it. You're deadened to the seriousness of sin. You may feel a twinge of pain every so often, as a diabetic patient may feel, yeah, something's going on down there at the end of my foot. And you may feel that twinge of pain, that there's something wrong, that, yes, I don't do things as I should, but then you've worked out ways to dull the edge of that pain. Non-Christians all around us, and maybe even you in this room, have found a way to desensitise yourself to the pain through alcohol, through drugs, through food, work, family, friends, holidays, television, video games. we found ways to distract ourselves from the pain that sin is causing in our lives and will one day cause us when we pass away. If that is you, you're desensitised to the pain, the horror of sin that is in your body, then you need to wake up to it now. How do you do that? How do you see that sin is a serious problem? Well, it's by looking at the wounds that were made in order to deal with sin. Remember, we looked at verse 5. It says, by his wounds we are healed. When we look at the Lord Jesus and what he experienced on the cross as the Son of God, we see that sin is a serious problem. If it takes the living God to come and dwell on this earth and then die a crucified death, to die by crucifixion, then sin must be really bad. The problem is we don't always see things Bad until we see the as bad until we see the solution. You see this in the medical world as well. You think, oh, yes, it's not a big deal. But when the surgeon comes along and says, actually, we're going to have to amputate your foot, you realise, oh, this is bad. Well, they say, we're actually going to have to amputate not just your foot, we're going to have to do a below-knee amputation or above-knee amputation. The infection is so bad that we need to start cutting bits off you. And you go, oh, yeah, it's really bad what's going on. I need that solution. And that's what happens when we look at the Lord Jesus on the cross. We see that sin must be awful if the Son of God needs to be pierced. He needs to be crushed. He needs to be punished. He needs to be wounded. Then sin must be terrible. If that's the solution for sin, then my sin in my members must be terrible. Looking at the cross, you see a a small fraction of the horror of hell which is the punishment for sin. Jesus reveals how terrible our sin is. And if you are numb to the pain of sin, you have never trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ to pay for your sin, then look at the cross. There's many ways that you can be awakened to your sin, but one way is look at the cross. See how serious sin is by looking at the solution to the problem of sin. Now, you may be saying, okay, yes, you've convinced me that I need to be awakened to the horror of sin and I see how terrible it is, but what does it cost me to have Jesus be wounded 
for me, to heal me. Surely it's going to cost me something because, let's face it, all the best surgeons, they cost a lot of money, particularly if they're going to save my life. They're going to cost a fair amount of money. And you're saying that Jesus can actually heal us for all of eternity? Surely it's going to cost me. Where are the credit card facilities? Do you have them on the way out that I can tap my card and pay so that I can have Jesus be wounded for me so that I can be healed from my sin and have eternal life? Well, the Bible tells us that Jesus is wounded. He is the substitute patient for us for free. We don't pay anything. It costs nothing. The payment has all been made by the Lord Jesus. And we simply experience God's grace, his mercy. Grace is just that. Grace is grace. It means that you didn't earn it. Mercy is just that. Mercy, that you don't deserve it. It's all by God's grace and mercy that he will give you eternal life, that he will give you healing from your sin. And so I encourage you to do that this morning. If you've never done that before, come to God and beg for mercy, beg for grace, beg that Jesus Christ is healed, uh, is wounded for your healing, that he is punished for your transgressions and will grant you peace. Simply accept it through trusting in the Lord Jesus. Don't try to add anything to it. Don't try to add anything to the Lord Jesus' death. His death is sufficient. Sometimes patients, when they realize that there's a serious problem going on with their body, they do a little bit of home theater surgery themselves. Uh, home theater, not in the terms of a, a subwoofer and a big screen television. They do a little home theater surgery. And they try to fix their problem themselves. They, they get some sort of scalpel out or something, and they think they can solve the problem. And what usually happens? They just end up making it worse and making more work for the doctor to solve. And that's what happens when you try to add your works to the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. When you think, oh, I've got something to offer alongside with Jesus. I can do something to correct my problem of sin. Yes, I'll trust in Jesus, but I'll also do all these other good things, and that will help make up for my problem of sin. No, it simply makes it worse, because those little efforts that you make of home theatre surgery that you're doing yourself... They're just manifestations of that sin of pride, that you don't think that you are that bad, that Jesus needs to pay at all, that you can pay some of it. And so the, the good works that you do are simply manifestations of that pride. And you may even punish yourself. You may cut yourself to try and pay for your sin. But it simply makes things worse. People do that. They try to atone for their sin by hurting themselves. But instead, they make things worse. It's by his wounds alone that we are healed. So I encourage you this morning, trust in the Lord Jesus' death. If you've never done so before, trust in his death, trust in his wounds, and you will be healed. Was Jesus cut for you many years ago? Was he wounded for you? Or are you numb to your sin? Is it still festering away within you, even hastening your death right now? Or are you aware of your sin and you have come to trust that by the Lord's death at the cross many years ago, you have peace and you have healing and you have eternal life? Let's come to God in prayer. Let's speak with him now. Thank you, Heavenly Father, that Jesus was pierced for our transgressions, that he was crushed for our iniquities. Thank you that the punishment that brought us peace was upon him 
and by his wounds we are healed. O Lord, we pray that we would continue to rejoice in this truth, but we'd also tell others that they can have healing, that they can have the peace that we have received if they will trust in Christ. And Lord, we pray for anyone in this room this morning who still has the problem of sin festering within them, that it has not been dealt with Christ. They have not experienced his healing. We pray that you would awaken them to the horror of sin. May they look at the cross and see how terrible sin is. And so, Lord, we pray that you would lead them to repentance and faith this morning. And we pray this all in Christ's name. Amen.